Welcome to The Third Wheel, your favorite, very reliable content creators coming in the clutch to give you seven chapters of Stormlight Archives goodness. Today, do, do your bet. I was just gonna say, delicious Stormlight, you can just sort of let it waft, just breathe it in. Yeah, and then let it waft off of you. Just hold your breath for 15 minutes while listening to this podcast. I think it'll be a bit longer than 15 minutes. I was like, we're only going to talk for 15 minutes? No, no, but just pick your favorite... Okay, so after you listen, make sure that you've denoted your favorite 15-minute portion of the (laughs) podcast, and then to be just like Kaladin, inhale once, and then while climbing a rock wall, make sure to not breathe for the remaining 15 minutes while you re-listen to that 15-minute bit. Do you think we're popular enough that people actually re-listen to our episodes? I listen to our episodes multiple times, not just when I'm recording them. But that's because I like the sound of my own voice. As much as I love this bit, I'm Jesse. I'm the person who's read all these books before. I'm Tyler. I have read the first half of Edge Dancer, and... And only that. Only that. Uh, I also finished Words of Radiance, Elantris, and Warbreaker since the last time we recorded. Yeah. Once Tyler reads Oathbringer, he'll know more than me. I will finally be free. I'm Bjorn, and I finished reading this chapter section about four hours ago, so I'm doing real good. Wow. I like that. Yeah, the time is increasing, because I think last time it was only like an hour or two, but it's actually getting better pretty quick. Yeah, you had some time to percolate. Yeah. Can't wait to hear all your deep thoughts that I'm sure you had. So the idea is that we're sort of leading up to the climax of this book, but that climax is really long, so next episode is probably going to be almost 50% longer than usual, at least page-wise. Just be prepared. And then the one after that will be pretty light, because there will only be about 50 pages of the book left after that, but that would be too much to do all at once. Yeah, I think the second book's Sanderlanch is like a similar length, but afterwards there's not 50 pages, there's like 10, Uh which makes it much easier. This one, this next one coming up, we were looking at it like, we can either have two bad episodes or one long one and then one short one. Yeah, and then we'll have some fun with the short one. We'll see. We'll find something to do with it. Maybe we'll play a game. Oh, I like that. You know, when we first were talking about this podcast, I was thinking that the whole third wheel thing would be more of a gimmick than it actually ended up being. Like, I thought we were going to play some kind of game of, like, who was the third wheel this episode. That oh. never happened. Well, I mean, it's it's always... Ooh, oh, no. Beyond looked at me before I finished the sentence. Well, he was going to say it's always me. Mine and Tyler's love cannot be replicated. I have said this before to your girlfriend (laughs) it's known anyway chapter 52 you're right it's called a highway to the sun and bless this chapter because this is the first time we get adolin pov thank god after having read the second book adolin might be my favorite pov for just how how much of a himbo he is (laughs) That's literally his whole character, is himbo. Not a single thought in this boy's head. Except dueling. Except dueling and what color wine he's gonna drink next. So, at the beginning of this chapter, 
Adolin is continuing to try to convince his dad to not abdicate, even though he spent all of last part trying to convince him to abdicate. He's like, I didn't think you were actually gonna. Yeah. And You listen he, to me, dad? <laughs> and then he whines, but I don't want to be a high prince. Yeah. And I love so like, him. I love him so much. Those are actually his words. Yeah. He's like, dad, I want more authority. And not like that. Yeah. Dalinar's like, okay, here's more authority. And he goes, well, I don't actually want more authority. I just want to be mad. I just want to be a dandy sitting around and drinking wine with my friends. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. That was like my mid-college years, except it was weed instead of wine. So essentially, uh, Adolin feels that mad or not, Dalinar is what Alethkar needed. And he feels that of all of the battles Dalinar has been through, Adolin is the only warrior to ever cut his legs out from under him. And he feels real bad. How sad. Family and saying things that hurt each other. Oh no. They go together. Like chocolate and peanut butter. Like Adolin and, I don't know, drinking wine? (laughs) Yellow wine. I have one joke. That is a good pairing. And then Dalinar has a vision. Yeah, they stop this conversation when Dalinar's like, okay, kids, this is great, but I need you to tie me down now. <sighs> Bondage right? time. So this, is a, so this is a pretty important vision among the visions he has in this book. Like, probably the most important one. Yeah, I only barely understand. It's like... Like, now that I have read the second book, I feel like I might understand more of what goes on in the vision, and I think I understand everything, except for, like, the one thing that you're obviously not supposed to know, which is why. Yeah. Isn't we'll it just the, the Radiance being like, bye, you take our magical things are being removed and shoved here. But, like, why are they doing that? We don't That's know. the question. But why, though? That's the question Sando wants us to ask. Thanks, Sando. Um, So I just appreciate the detail that Dalinar argues with himself about whether or not he should even, like, actively participate in these visions. Yeah, this is still... Gosh, I don't remember if it's, like, by the end of this section that he's brought brought Navani in. Is that... Uh, To record what he saw? yeah. He brings Navani in, but I don't think... I think you're thinking of a scene in the second book when some stuff gets confirmed. Maybe, but my only point in all of this was that he... This is still... There's definitely a change uh, after he brings Navani in and before. Mm -hmm. Because before he's just kind of like flailing around, but afterwards with Navani, who's more of a scientist, there's definitely some amount of like try this, does it work, does it not, like, trying to almost apply patterns to it. I don't, we don't get to see that quite yet in this section. No, for now, he's just kind of along for the ride. Yeah. Also, someone edit Navani's face onto Willem Dafoe saying, I'm something of a scientist myself. Uh, consider it done. (laughs) We're changing the third wheel icon to that, and only that. (laughs) It's now Navani. It could at least be the Twitter icon for a while. Um, God, I hope. So in this vision, Dalinar has inhabited the body of a lazy guardsman named Leaf. Is that his name? Uh, Yes, Leaf. L-E-E-F. 
and they're guarding a place called Feverstone Keep, but they all assume that nothing can really happen there because the Radiants are out defending them. And they're like the backyard, the like back, far back, right? Yeah, yeah, the far, like if they were ever defeated, they would go there. Yeah. And they're like, we got the Radiance, we're fine. Um, while walking around, Dalinar notices that there is a dark-eyed officer. How strange. He is shook. He literally said he had a shock of incredulity, because he's a racist. I mean, is I guess he is. <laughs> the whole society has taught him how to be racist. Systematic racism. But it's it might also give him some ideas. We'll get there. Jeez, that was pretty <laughs> emphatic. Well, I, I just mean, took I'll, a sip of water. I know, I'll cut it out, but it was very much a like, we'll get to it later. <laughs> That's just my natural comedic timing. Damn. So, the guards on top of the Feverstone Keep see that a sea of radiance, as in T-S, not C-E, are yeah. coming back to Feverstone Keep, and then... Instead of walking, now they're all running. Yeah, like 200 of them. (laughs) Yeah. And I like the detail that Dalinar sort of does a count, and he says that as far as he knew, there were less than 100 blades in all the world. And here he saw 200 shardbearers gathered in one army. So, like, later we see sort of all of these shardblades scattered to the winds, in a sense. But this is just like two sections of the whole uh all of the orders of the radiance giving up their blades so it seems like there should be a lot more in the world and actually i think he says another hundred show up before the end Uh uh-huh so yeah there's like it's crazy so there's also a lot of talk in this section about how one shard bearer can sort of win a war on his own uh, talking about a man, a single man with plate and blade was almost an army into himself, which comes up in the fact that when we see all of the people at the end of this chapter grabbing swords for themselves, it means something to us. Yeah. Especially, yeah. And I think it's uh, later on in this section where um, Dalinar and Sadeus are making like, runs together, and Mm -hmm. the way that they describe Dalinar, like, cutting through hundreds of Parshendi Mm single-handedly, and, like, oh no, his armor almost got cracked. Yeah. It's not very fair. No. (laughs) Um, So Dalinar runs out onto the plains to meet with the Radiance, and then all of the... Radiants drive their blades into the earth and take off their armor and walk away without saying anything. Yeah, and refuse to answer any questions. Yeah. Uh, It's also noted that the plate and blade used to glow, but in this moment is when the glow ended. Yeah. Um, He says none of the blades were glowing anymore by the time that people are picking them up. Um, And then he says he can almost like hear screaming. Yes, As that, this uh, process begins of people grabbing the blades and killing each other. 
Yeah, so as the blades fade, it says, A terrible feeling struck him, a sense of immense tragedy, of pain and betrayal. Stopping where he stood, he gasped, hand to his chest. What was happening? What was that dreadful feeling, that screaming he swore he could almost hear? So, there's some weird stuff going on with these blades. Yeah. So Dalinar continues to try and talk with the Radiance, and none of them will talk to him. Behind him, all of the residents of Feverstone Keep pick up shard blades and start killing each other. Yeah, it's great. As one does. Yeah. Well, I mean, you gotta protect this new fortune you just got. Yeah. I think, for me, I didn't realize the sheer amount of Radiance that existed to begin mm-hmm. with. Because the way they talk about it, Shardplate being such a rare rare find, you're going to casually murder people over it, to be told, this is just a section, and they're running, and they leave it. And the slaughter begins as soon as it's dropped. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't a, their, their, their rarity has increased, so people have fought over more over the limited resources. It's just like, since the beginning, people have been bloodied for it. Yeah. I mean, As- oh, go ahead. I was also going to say, because especially with the first prologue thing, where it's, what, 12 people Nine. giving up? 10. 10. Uh, nine nine with one not present yeah yeah like those people putting it down and so i was thinking the the radiance were something similar to that are those radiance plus are those the heralds those are the heralds what makes them different from radiance that's a great question so the heralds came first and the radiance are those who like swear ideals based on the heralds and have some aspect of their power so if heralds were gods, radiance are demigods? Something like that. Something similar, yeah. Okay. So that's the idea. There's a lot of knights radiant. And I don't know... I I should know this. I don't know how long ago this was from the present exactly. But I guess, I don't know. Blades and plate get lost? I don't know. I mean, they have to, right? Because yeah. um, I don't... If you think this is a spoiler, I'll cut it. But in the second book, we find out that originally when the recreants occurred, um, it took them years to figure out that you could bond a blade Uh and you didn't have to physically carry it with you at all times. Yeah. So, like, any blade that got lost before that is just sitting somewhere and any like at the bottom of the ocean or something. Yeah, and any plate that has broken that you can't like pour a small fortune worth of gems into mm-hmm. because your money breaks when you completely uh, reforge a set of shard plate. Like any of that is just gone because now it's just pieces of metal that either are sitting in a field somewhere. I do find it funny that the money can just be used up. Like, hey, look at this cool thing we're using for money. And some people eat this money, and now that's their magical energy, and now it doesn't work as currency anymore. Well, I it's, mean... It's just really entertaining as, to me. They work as currency. It's just um, what Ty was referring to is that it's said in this section that when you try and repair shard plate with Stormlight from gems, the gems break, which is unusual for using Stormlight. Which is a whole other thing. Trying to have nice things, but then your money just goes and breaks. <laughs> Essentially. So one of the Knights Radiant eventually does start talking to Dalinar, but it's clearly not the actual person. It's another one of these messages from above. 
essentially the voice says, Rafo, lol. Yeah. Um, so this says that, yeah, so the timeline that I looked at, the Day of Recreance, was about 2,000 years ago. Yeah, so I could see a decent amount of shard plates and shard blades being lost in that time. Yeah, I mean, there's probably, based on what I know as far as um, just, like, some orders had more and some had less. I mean, if we just guess that they average out to, like, a thousand sets of plate and blade, you're still ending up with, like, 900 of them gone. Uh uh-huh. which more is a than, lot. Yeah, a, a, a little bit more than 900 of them just lost. Nobody knows where they are. I don't know if Brandon Sanderson has a plan for this plot thread or if we're just being picky. We, I mean, I'm sure that, I'm sure that we're not going to suddenly have like 900 full shard bearers show up. It's just interesting to think about like, uh huh. Dalinar saying, you know, 20 in Alethkar, maybe 20 in Jakoved, maybe another. 30 to 40 across the rest of the entire world versus like possibly up to a thousand just Uh hanging around when they first became a thing. Yeah. So Dalinar wakes up from this vision and he continues his discussion with his sons. It's like, thanks for tying me up kids. Let's keep on talking. Yeah. Let's, uh, Hey kids, let's wrap. I'm going to turn my chair around and sit with my arms across the back. Yeah. Renarin proposes that the sources of these visions are the old magic, and Dalinar admits to his children that he did go to the... What's her name? Night Watcher? Yes, Night Watcher. And they're like, but why? And he's like, that's my business, kids. You'll understand when you're older. Maybe I'll understand one day, too. I'll remember when I'm older. Something, something, read Oathbringer. God, um, I'd love to. Um, Chapter 7 of Edge Dancer is the one that's keeping me from progressing for those following along at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so after a bit more talking, uh, Dalinar, well, Renarin proposes that they keep a record of his visions so that they can determine if he's making them up or if he's actually seeing something he couldn't have known before. And he deci- and Dalinar decides that the only woman he can trust to be his scribe is Navani. Yeah, the only one I can trust is the one who was my brother's wife and also is, like, constantly coming on to me. Low-key coveting me. Yeah, humana, 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 no. High-key. Um, let's see. Um, uh, and then she does, in fact, come on to him. She does. Uh, there's some comedy about Navani uh, sending away Dalinar's kids in very intentional ways, then taking down his account. And when Dalinar realizes that they're alone, he's like, if you wish to speak, I'll get some soldiers to accompany us. Yeah. I, li- I'm, I need I need a, some bodyguards from you. Dalinar's like, I'm about to work on my Mike Pence impression. Tell me what you think. Mother, sorry, I need my wife present before... Oh, wait. <laughs> Who's my wife? I feel like... 
I've forgotten who I need to have present. <laughs> Why is all this static here? Um, so when Navani asks him, why can't you just relax? Everyone else ignores the rules. He says, I cannot be everyone else. If I abandon my principles, then I become something far worse than they, a hypocrite, because he's the one espousing the rules, but they never cared. So if he breaks the rules now, it's worse for him. Which is something we can, uh, excuse me, continue to see throughout the section is him sort of trying to continue to spread these rules throughout the other high princes. And I'll just say the idea of hypocrisy is pretty central to sort of Dalinar's story in Oathbringer. So there's Great. a it's almost as if Brandon Sanderson anticipated this. He's or got he, or at the very least he has thematic coherence. Hmm. Chapter fifty three is called Dunny. What the heck's a dunny? Uh, that's a great question. Isn't that the one who dies? Yeah, it's yes. dead. <laughs> I don't uh, I know just, what it was, but it's dead now. <laughs> I just don't remember if he was mentioned my name before this chapter. He must have. I think uh, so. Yeah. Um, so this chapter drops us directly into a bridge run. Uh, we get another, uh, sort of vignette of the Parshendi firing arrows at their bridge and all of them sort of just... <laughs> just missing Kaladin and all of the Parshendi being shocked. So, we get that again. They're shook. Yeah. Do the Parshendi have shard blades, or do they just have their own, like, I've grown my armor with my powerful They chicken. mentioned that the Parshendi have at least a couple shard bearers. Okay, that's yeah. what I thought as well. I know it's not much relevance now, it just... I don't know. It's a good question to ask. It's about to be. Yeah. So, during this bridge run... Kaladin fails to save, I would put that in harsh air quotes, a bridge man named Dunny. Man, a boy child, <laughs> at most, Dunny put on this earth to die. So in order to sort of get over the trauma, he decides to go extra hard on recovering all of the injured people from the other bridge crews. Imagine dying so that Kaladin can continue to refuse to have character development for another ten chapters. I mean, that's what you get when you're a minor character. Also, that's kind of Kaladin's thing. Based yeah. on books one and two, at least. I don't know about three, but from everyone the first who two. Everyone who dies is just a footnote in my character development. In my refusal to experience character development until the most dramatically appropriate moment. That's Brando. Well, everybody else seems fine. I think it's just Kaladin that has a problem. I mean, there's a thing in Brandon Sanderson stories where essentially characters will fixate on one thing they think they know that seems really simple, and then something will happen that like flips their perspective on the thing they think they know that they never questioned, and that sort of opens up their character. Like, we see a lot in this section of Dalinar obsessing over the phrase, unite them. And he doesn't really question what that means. I really wish that I could watch Syl give a TED talk just to Kaladin <laughs> about it wasn't your fault. You're not cursed, and here's why. Yeah. What if everyone you thought you let die wasn't your responsibility? Let's find out. <laughs> so this chapter is another... 
is pretty much the final brick in the structure of Bridge 4 is completely and totally devoted to and admires Kaladin. So yeah, it's... Which isn't bad. I, yeah. I'm i very much into it. Even it's a slow build-up, but yeah. this is sort of like the height of it, where we can say, just from now on, we know this is how Bridge 4 feels, and we don't need to like justify it more. Yeah, at this point, it very much feels like Bridge 4... Um, by the choice of the characters, not by, like, Brandon Sanderson mm-hmm. uh, just deciding it, that they, like, kind of exist for Kaladin. Yeah, I think it's done well. As I said, it's hard to do group sentiment well, and he took a whole book to do it, so. And he did it really well. At least it only took one book. Yeah. Are you thinking of, like, some other example or something? I don't know, I was just thinking of Wheel of Time taking up 5,000 books to do anything. Well, and I then mean, by the Wheel end. of Time, no one ever comes to a group consensus sentimentality. No. That's, that's sort of the thing. Well, now I'm thinking of, finally, everyone was working together. Another good point, but against their will. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen... Even Rand himself can't come to a group consensus. Am I right, Jesse? (laughs) He's crazy. Get it? How many voices are in Rand's head today? We'll get there. We'll get there. Next book. (laughs) Um, Call me back in four episodes. So part of this final winning over is that when Kaladin tells an injured man that we will carry you that Teft sort of bursts into tears and finally believes that Kaladin is a Radiant because he's shown something beyond powers. Yeah, he Teft knows something about some ideals that Kaladin needs to live up to. Yeah, later Kaladin will ask him, what do you know and why and how much do you know? And he doesn't know that much, but it's more than Kaladin knows. Oh, Bion, you were smiling like you had something to say. No, I just think it's a nice relationship between the two, where Kaladin's mm-hmm. like, Teft, what's going on? And Teft's like, I don't know. I don't know, man. I just think you're really cool. I, I just saw you <laughs> take in Stormlight when you were sick. That is, that is pretty much right. Like, I don't really know. You're just really cool. Also, I thought all these things were just stories, and I thought everyone was crazy, so I wasn't really listening. Teft nursing Kaladin back to health, like when you have to um, feed a cat a pill or like a dog, and you. So, like, he's putting the stormlight in Kaladin's mouth and then, like, petting his throat to make sure it gets down into his lungs and heals him. That's that is, my boy. That's a you can do it. Image. I've created a new AU. <laughs> Kaladin dog AU. Uh, if I don't them. find it on AO3... Oh, I bet it is. Thousand percent. I'll a, look it up A really easy thing if somebody did ABO with it, too. Don't... Don't curse us like this. <laughs> I don't know the lingo. You don't want to. Alpha, beta, omega. It's from when oh, no. people misinterpreted uh, wolf pack dynamics and uh, shippers got a hold of it and so it's a way to justify yowie because there's a lot of mpreg and so women don't matter all right i told you not to it's too so, late so it's too late mother i've seen everything 
Uh, so chapter 54 is called Gibbletish. What does that mean? What's a Gibbletish? Is that some sort of horrible 17-legged crab you have here on this <laughs> shard-forsaken world? No, it's Wit being so witty. He's the wittiest. So this chapter starts with Dalinar at one of Alokar's feasts, and he's pretty sure that this is the end for him. It's time to die. <laughs> um, when he sits down, uh, Wit swoops down and sits next to him, covered in a robe. And I like the thought occurs to Dalinar. like, maybe this is just his joke tonight. He'll like try and creep people out as much as he can. I mean... The joke is real. <laughs> that kind of is his thing in all of the books. Yeah. Like, so, I'm so just Wit, here to cause problems. Yeah. So Wit is being extra ominous tonight. And he sort of throws a word out to see if Dalinar knows it at Analsium. What does that mean? I think Tyler knows more of what Analsium is than I do at this point. He's Almost definitely. Histories. I read the Ars Arcanum. I know the secret lore. <laughs> he literally has. What a cool kid. I'm not. <laughs> um, so Wit also tells him that Sedeus is planning to is planning to put a plan into motion tonight, and that Dalinar should be careful. Which is super vague because there could be any sort of plan. There could yeah. be so many plans. So Dalinar tells Adolin to prepare to resist arrest a cab and then, yeah seriously <laughs> uh dalinar gets into a bizarrely long-winded political negotiation that he doesn't have anything to do with the political thing was really boring but i did like how one of the awful guys just remarked oh yes my wife studies that area and i was just like wow it's still horrible politics but his wife gets to be respected for what she does well, it's because he can't read. Well, I mean, they can't read, but I, it's it's just nice to see. It's not just bros being politics, but also yeah, like women have wife. a distinct role. Yeah, he respects his wife's PhD thesis. Yeah, which is good. I just thought that was really nice and affirming <laughs> because so often in fantasy things, you don't get that. It's just like knights being supposedly honorable and like the clear evil. And like Are some you princesses. Going to read each other's graduate theses. Uh, I didn't actually have a grad. Uh, I didn't have an undergraduate thesis. I mean, most undergrads don't, unless you're. Yeah, in most an, undergrads don't. Unless you're like in an honors college or something. Yeah. Anyways, I'll skim your thesis. I'm taking a break from grad school, so. Anyways, that's the thing they mentioned with Rainer and why he's. That's the problem is that he's too big brain. And the only reason, or the only way that he would be allowed to actually use the big brain <laughs> is um, if he became an ardent. Because they're the only ones that are, they're the only men that are allowed to do any studying. So basically with Adolin and, Re how do you pronounce his name? Renarin. Renarin. Renarin, Adolin. Uh, Adolin got the... Please, Adolin and not Adolin. <laughs> Adolin and Radolin. Yes. Um, Adolin got the himbo. Yes. And I can do swords. Look, it's fine. In this culture, men don't read. It doesn't matter. And then Radolin got all the brain cells. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. But he got I too mean, many, and now he has seizures. 
Too many, too many brain cells. Adolin is essentially like the Alethi ideal in a inside of a good person. He's basically like the Alethi Ubermensch. <laughs> Pretty much. We'll continue to see why Adolin is the best. God, I love him. <laughs> um. So Dalinar is bored after all this politics talk, and he's like, Sedeus, I know you're going to do it. Just do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Dalinar's Dallin, like brain hurdy. Let's do this. Um, so Sedeus makes his announcement that he has finished, well, not finished, during his investigation of the heavy air quotes assassination attempt on Alokar, he determined that the uh, gems used to power Alokar's shard plate were not properly charged. And... And so between that and the strap cut... Yeah, it, all of these things could not have happened while under Dalinar's care. Therefore, Dalinar is no longer a suspect. And Sedeus makes that announcement to pretty much the entirety of the Alethi court. And Dalinar is highly shook, and so is Adolin. Yeah, you have to trust Sedeus. Because <laughs> sometimes he seems like a snake. But, I mean, hey, when, I mean, like, God is... What? Apparently he's got the right things deep down, and God told you to trust him. Yeah, God is giving you visions, and every time you're like, who do I trust? Do I trust Sedeus? God's like, trust him, dude. Do it. <laughs> he exploits people really badly, but, you know, you can trust him. Yeah. Listen, he does use slaves instead of the mindless automaton people because he thinks it's funny. But he, I'll get to that. Yeah, but I, the, I, the, I the Parshman clearly times. reacts when they start to to loot the Parshendis down there. That's true. Well, the mindless automatons are chulls, not Parshman necessarily. I meant the Parshman. They deserve it. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> so Dalinar essentially starts arguing with Sedeus. Is like, why didn't you screw me over? You should have screwed me over. Um, and Bro, into, what is your aim? Yeah. They get into a debate over uh, the codes and the way of kings. And Sedeus says, that's your problem. You're, you think you're better than people. And Dalinar's like, that's because I am better than people. Yeah. <laughs> Dalinar's like, I'm just thinking the truth, bro. So after this show of trustworthiness, Dalinar pitches the idea of doing joint plateau runs again. And this time, now that they've proven that they are not intending to betray each other, they agree. Yeah, Sedeus is like, no. And Dalinar's like, I'll basically pay you to do it. Sedeus says, chill, let's make it happen. Yeah, he promises that if they take down a shard bearer, then Sedeus would get the blade, but Dalinar would get the plate for Renarin. So that Renarin can be safe. I'm sorry, did you mean Radolin? Sorry, did you mean not Adolin? There's so many creme posting memes about who's Renarin. <laughs> sorry, I only have one children, Adolin, and then this other one that follows Adolin around. Adolin and looks at smudged hand. R r reject? Reject? That's weird, all I can see on my hand is static. Um, alright. 
So also worth noting that in this section, we go back to uh, death quotes being the chapter headers. Yeah, you know, those death quotes, I was super missing them. Some of these I definitely am understanding. Some of them I definitely am not. Well, we'll get there. Great. Maybe. I honestly don't know. Maybe. Sometimes I just say things without knowing where I'm going. Anyways. It might be something we learn about in book four or five. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, Chapter 55 is called An Emerald Brome. This is another chapter, another Kaladin chapter that drops us straight into a bridge run. And this time Kaladin is watching Sedeus get seemingly routed by the Parshendi. If only he had died. (laughs) I mean, yeah. yeah. So, but when Sedeus is about to lose, uh, Dalinar's army turns up. And I like the fact that um, the bridgemen, well, Moash is like, they seem like they're a little late. Galen's like, it happens. And they're just expecting them to turn back when they see Sedeus' army there. Because they just do not consider the possibility that one high prince is helping another. Or they think he's there to sabotage since Sudeus is weak now or something like that. So it's a bit more ammunition for the whole Dalinar is highly irregular in his thinking line of theming. Because no one assumes that's what's happening. How could this have happened? No, they would never be caught dead assisting each other. (laughs) So we get some more exposition from Moash about how good Dalinar's reputation is. And then Kaladin continues to say that that's all puffery and he'll never get taken in again. Also, Scar mentions that Amaram is on his way to the Shattered Plains. Thank goodness. Love me some Amaram. So Kaladin watches Dalinar's army join the battle and he's like, whoa. Whoa. What what a bunch of absolute chads so i mean this is when he thinks about dalinar's reputation he says i will not be taken in just because everything i'm seeing tells me this is a good guy no no No. well did amaram uh present himself as a good guy before yeah they know that uh in the interludes where he's in amaram's army he notes that like amaram had been notably good to him yeah, so I mean, he's he's been hurt already, so it kind of makes sense that he's like, nope, I do not trust those in power. It's an understandable fear. Amaram, noted good guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're going to be yelling that at Kaladin all of next book. I understand you, but can you not? Yeah, I mean, hey... I texted you multiple times while reading the last book about God, I wish Kaladin would just shut up. (laughs) Anyway, as you say, we'll get to it. So then there's a bit of a time break, and it gets down to Bridge 4 doing chasm duty, and they have found a light-eyed corpse with the fortune's worth of spheres on him. Yeah, like a hundred diamond spheres or something? Well, it was one emerald brome, which is worth more than the rest of all of his money put together. So he has one really large 
valuable sphere and a bunch of smaller ones wow. that all together are like a year's wages for a bridgeman. Who uh, goes out to battle for the death with all your cash? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Callan notes that this is pocket change for a light eyes. Like this isn't all his cash. This uh, is like his money for a snack on the way on the way home. This is like walking into work with a hundred dollar bill tucked in your pocket. Um, so we get some explanations of why, uh, the Bridgman can't just, you know, normally smuggle out spheres. Uh, we get some notes that even if they swallowed the spheres, they have, that Sedeus has Parshman go through the soldiers' droppings and has soldiers keep record of everyone who comes to the latrines and how often, which... Usually I'm a fan of Brandon Sanderson's world detail work, but at a certain point I just have to think, wouldn't it just be easier to send a single soldier down with them to watch them? No, he's all about making people do unnecessary things and (laughs) making people feel like they're being watched and that something as simple as a bodily function is now being controlled by someone. I bet he really gets off on that. I guess he could do both. I mean... Have an escort and check everyone's poop. It's also probably not Sedeus's like, personal decision. I guess. He, just, he probably just put some sycophant idiot in charge who was like, obviously we'll go through their poop, but <laughs> never thought to just send somebody down with them. I mean, the most basic justification I can think of is that the chasms are just that unpleasant that they're just not going to send a non-slave soldier down there. Or the bridgemen could turn on the soldier and kill them so like how many soldiers are you sending down to guarantee their safety also fair but i mean if they kill the soldier they don't really have a way back up or a way of escape no but they'll just die down there if the soldiers are worth some anyway it doesn't matter (laughs) Um, what matters is that sadeus is the trash man So while Kaladin is thinking about how they can figure out a way to smuggle these spheres to the surface, we get another good bit of Sigzil uh, exposition. Sigzil is an underrated character. Um, Yeah, he's just like, I'm so glad I took those exposition classes. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like being a world singer sounds like a totally sick job. Yeah. Just travel around, learn stuff. Has he explained how he ended up here? Um, has he at this point? I don't remember. I don't think so. I know he explains it at some point. I just don't know if it's been explained here, or I also don't remember what the explanation is. Mm. I think the idea is he said something about how he got arrested one too many times and his master, like, sold him. And we learn later that his master was wit. (laughs) What a guy. That would make sense when Wit says, tell my other apprentice he's graduated. He's yeah. good now. That is who he's referring to. Um, although I might also be remembering the way he became a slave wrong as well. I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge. Jesse, how <laughs> dare you? I mean, soon Tyler is going to have a more encyclopedic knowledge than me. Yeah, if you think that the moment I finish Oathbringer does not follow with, like, opening Copper Mind and just going crazy, then... Yeah, then you'd have nothing left to spoil. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess the first however many chapters of Rhythm of War that are out. Yeah. So, uh, Sigzil gives some exposition about Sesemelex Dar, which is a city that Kaladin saw in one of his visions, which shows him that his visions are real, because he didn't know that place actually existed. Yeah, I was just reading that word as you said it, and you did a way better job of pronouncing it than I would have. I wasn't even looking at the word, and I was just sort of guessing. Well, good enough for me. Um, That's Jesse's superpower. <laughs> um, so, I mean, this is all just pretty cool detail work. Uh, we get a bit more of an explanation. I know Bion's been asking a lot of questions about like what exactly Voronism is. And we got some talk about different kinds of Voronism and their focus on different parts of their religion, of whether or not they are more about the Stormfather or more about the Heralds, stuff like that. Wow, religion is complex and everybody's interpretation is different. Yep. So also in this chapter, Kaladin is starting to... With the fact that his vision is confirmed to be true, he starts thinking about the fact that he's been healing faster. He says, something odd was happening to him. Something supernatural. What if it was related to the fact that everyone around him always seemed to die? It's like yeah, a you're leeching off their life energy. You're surviving by vampiring on other people's lives. It's like, Kaladin, how do you come to the exact wrong conclusion every single time? He, like... He's inventing the concept of vampires just to make sure that he is still in the wrong. <laughs> or that he's cursed, at least. Yeah. Um, so they continue doing their scavenging when they come upon some Parshendi corpses. And this is when we find, we see Shen, the Parshman, have a violent reaction to Kaladin touching a Parshendi corpse. Yeah, and then they explain that the only thing that the Parshmen actually care about is that they get to take care of their own dead. Yeah. Like, everything else they're completely docile about, but the only thing they insist on is that they're the only one that touched their dead. Um, and then they're also, like, gathering up spears for what I think they go ahead and discuss here is, like, the only way to get out is going to be for them to train and fight. Yeah. I mean, that was established earlier, right? Yes. Oh, but now they're, like, actually prepping and trying to figure out, like... Yeah, before they were just training, now they're actually, like, stockpiling weapons. Yeah. So they continue discussing how to get those... Uh, get those spheres up to the surface. This is a lot of this chapter, is them, like, trying to figure out how to smuggle some spheres. Um... This reads more like a Wheel of Time chapter. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit like that. Um, and at one point, Lopin suggests buying 50 feet of rope from one of his cousins. And he says, a man can never have enough cousins. Truer words, Lopin. Truer words. God, I love the Lopin. <laughs> he's, he's such a good boy. Oh. <laughs> and I guess that's actually the note on which the chapter ends. Kaladin's like, do it, Lopin. Pay your cousin. Turns to Lopin. Do it. Uh, chapter 56 is called That Storming Book. And this is a really long battle chapter. Dear so, God, does it just go? Yeah. I mean, 
there's some cool bits, but as we've learned, action isn't the most fun thing to talk about. Yeah, I mean, sometimes the action is cool, but, like, us describing what the book is already describing is not especially interesting. I don't really go into the play-by-play of most things, let alone action, so we're gonna skim through this one pretty hard. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, so this, uh, chapter is a Dalinar chapter taking place during a plateau run. Uh, Dalinar becomes the first Alethi to ever consider that half of Parshendi are women. He's the first. I mean, none of the other people there could even conceive of such a thing as a woman fighting. (laughs) There for studying and reading books. What a woman. He says, was it possible that despite six years of war, no one had taken the time to investigate the genders of those they fought? Correct. And I'm like, yeah, is it possible? I don't know. Yeah, it seems possible. Like, it just never crossed their mind. Everybody needs to attend Sil's TED Talk about (laughs) everything you thought you knew was wrong. So Dalinar is having the thrill and loving life. Because he's killing again. Oh boy, I'm killing again. Yeah. And he doesn't feel bad about it right now. No, he like, throughout this chapter, keeps going back and forth between using the thrill to like, tamp down any conflicted feelings he has, versus letting go of it in order to actually be able to think beyond like, mm-hmm. boy, I sure do love killing Parshendi. There is a notable moment that we'll get to where he's highly driven, but not by the thrill. And we'll see it. Um, so the Alethi seem to be winning the battle until a second Parshendi army comes up behind them. Surprise! Yeah, and essentially that means that, just like the Alethi, the Parshendi hadn't been using their full force on plateau runs either. Yeah. I wonder why that is. Hmm, I wonder. What reason could it possibly be? And... Dalinar's like, I have no idea. If only there was someone to show us the truth. The second Parshendi army is about to collapse upon Sadeus' army, and Dalinar's like, can't have that. So he rides in to save the day. By himself. Yeah. So this is the moment where I say that he's driven, but not by the thrill. He says that... Oh, no, he does use the thrill. I'm totally wrong. He says, the thrill rose. Dalinar did not force it down. He needed it too much. An ally was in danger. It was time to let the Blackthorn loose. It's time for Jack to let her rip. It was different than the other thrill, where the thrill was just the sheer joy of fighting and slaughter. Whereas the the thrill now had an intense direction and purpose. So it wasn't necessarily as untamed as it could be. Yeah, it's not just killing. He wants to protect the bonds that he's made. (laughs) That's my ninja, my ninja way. Speaking of which, some of this stuff in this action scene is highly anime. Like Dalinar picking up a massive hammer and blowing away dozens of Parshendi in single blows. Yeah, very... um, I mean, when you think about, like, every time that somebody said... Man, it sure was cool when Dalinar was the Blackthorn. You're like, I guess he was a really smart commander. And it's like, no, apparently he just had the power of anime on his side. 
He literally has the power of God and anime on his side. Ah. That's redundant. Whoa. God is anime. God's an otaku. Oh, don't say that. So it seems like Dalinar is about to be overwhelmed as well as Sadeus, which would be a catastrophic collapse of the Alethi military infrastructure. But Adolin saves the day because Adolin is good. Thank God. He's good for two things. Fighting and being the best. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, So this moment sort of, we get a moment where Dalinar and Sadeus get a moment to appreciate the fact that Dalinar just saved Sadeus's life, and it sort of solidifies that, hey, we're friends now. Hey, remember that time that I thought you were going to have me publicly executed? Well, you didn't. Thanks for that, bro. So we get some, like, sort of cute banter between Dalinar and Sadeus about that stupid book. Well, that stupid book just saved your life. Uh, please, uh, that storming book? I'm not going to say the word storm as a swear, I refuse. I have Blood and ashes! I almost used the word storming multiple times while rushing through Words of Radiance. Get your freak on, Tyler. Let my freak frag fry. <laughs> so chapter 57 is called Wandersail, and this is sort of the blockbuster chapter of this whole section. This uh, dear is the good God, stuff. Dear God, I'm scared. This is the good stuff. Um, so this is a third Kaladin chapter in a row that drops us straight into a bridge run. Which, I mean, if nothing else, is giving us a good... I mean, there's no... Not that I hate Shalon. After book two, it turns out Shalon's great. Uh, so, like, not that I hate Shalon, but... Like, there's none of her to break it up. Like, we are just jumping back and forth between Dalinar either talking about bridge runs or being on a bridge run, and then Kaladin being on a bridge run, which um, they talk about either in... I swear it's in this section. They mention that, like, it's gonna take us... Yeah, it's in the last Kaladin chapter. They say it's gonna take us weeks to be ready to break out, Mm-hmm. And then um, somebody, it might be Teft or uh, Sigzil, says, like, we're going on bridge runs almost every day. Like, we are not going to last weeks. Yeah. Uh, in the last chapter of this section, they are put on bridge duty every day. Yeah. So, so Deus guess, is like, please die. So I guess the function of cutting out all the Shalon chapters sort of ups the momentum of the Shattered Plains storyline by, like, never cutting away. Yeah, it's... Using, like, a meta technique. Yeah. It's like there's a rhythm to these chapters letting you know that we're coming up to, like, the climax of this storyline. The rhythm of this war? <laughs> and it's like, sure. And Thank Shalon's you. already had the climax of her story, so we're just gonna put her aside for now. Put the woman aside so we can listen to Kaladin be sad. <laughs> Pretty much. So... I sort of like the fact that we start having the death quotes as the chapter headings again in this section, and then in this chapter, the chapter opens with someone having that death delirium. So it reminds us that it's there, and then actually has it occur in the story. Yeah. Uh, We get to actually see one, and they... I swear they still don't make any sense to me. I feel like I should understand, but I don't. 
I feel like a lot of them are about the desolations. Yeah. Uh, the desolation? You'll learn all about that. Magna's archive crossover potential. Oh no. Have they been listening? We're caught up, dog. Both of you? I mean, Beyond, did you listen to, like, the back episodes, or have you only just, like, listened to the most recent ones that Tyler was listening to? I've only listened to a couple episodes. I've been reading more fan fiction. I really can't handle listening to the podcast, because it hurts my ears too much. Well, yeah, the first season's audio mixing is terrible. But, um, yeah, I I know more about it than Tyler did for a while, because I went and, like, deep-searched all the info. (laughs) As I do. It has a good wiki. Anyways. Uh, so, for some reason, the death of this guy named Maps has really got Kaladin shook, and he starts thinking about what he truly cares about. Kaladin like, has the big sad. He, like, observes that there is a plateau run happening across the way where soldiers are dying, but he doesn't care about that. Like, he feels no responsibility for healing them or saving them. He only cares about his bridge men. Yeah. What a good boy. Yeah. So it's sort of, you know, the psychology of the oppressed kind of idea. Yeah. Um, It's a good point. Um, So Kaladin is essentially just super downtrodden the whole way back to camp until he gets to camp and Bridge Four all salutes him like a captain. And we put the bow on that story. Yeah, they came up with their own cute little salute. Well, Teft did. Well, yeah. And speaking of Teft, Teft comes up to him and is like, so, how do you feel? Any odd experiences lately? So suspicious. You've asked me that five times in two days. Teft's like, no, no, no. Don't worry about it. Hey, Gancho, don't worry about it. Anyway, have you breathed I mean, any stormlight recently? Let me just punch Lopin, you to test this. Lopin is here for this scene when Teft decides to try and punch Kaladin, which causes him to breathe in the stormlight of all of the of all of the spheres he's carrying, which is more stormlight than he's ever had on him before. Yeah. And we get the reveal where Lopin says, Gancho, you're glowing. Yeah, he, like, moves superhumanly fast, is glowing, feels like he has to constantly be moving. It's... Kaladin's a Twilight vampire, you can't change my mind. Kaladin is anime. And all I can think about is that Lopin is a treasure. Every time I'm reading these books and I think, boy... I'm not sure that Lopin is actually making the best decision here. It turns out that he was, and it's just everyone else that's wrong. It's me that's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I'm also sort of a sucker for the character realizes they have magic powers trope. Like, that's just fun for me. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think my the only reason that I'm not super hyped about it is that, like... It took him so long to figure it out. And then he continues to deny it. Yeah. Deny Um, and, in fact, specifically reject. Yeah. Kaladin is the big dumb. How do I get rid of this magical power of mine? Yeah. Um, So Kaladin runs away. He's like, stop looking at me. And runs away. Yeah. 
but mm-hmm. probably runs away superhumanly fast also. Probably. While blowing. Yeah. Um, so Kaladin then has a conversation with Syl where he asks, you're not a windspren, are you? And she says, no. And Tyler blows air horns. Pew, 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 Yeah. Not a big reveal for Tyler. I mean, not a big reveal for anyone. I don't know. I didn't really question it on my first time through. Woof. <laughs> I mean... Syl is Syl. Syl yeah. is Syl. She... Yeah. She's great. She continues to be the second best part of Kaladin's storyline going forward. And she continues to be the second best Spren. Whoa. Who's the first best Spren? Oh, you'll find out. It's so good. It's so damn good. Jesse, I feel like you're exhibiting a pattern of being excited about stuff for the future that Beyond just doesn't understand. I can occupy the depressed point of view <laughs> most of the time. Oh, I can't even tell if that's a reference. I have panoptic empathy anyways. Jesse has the big sad. <laughs> Just like Cal. Which of us is the most sad? Next time on Third Wheel, we figure it out. Oh god, maybe that should be the game when we reach the final episode of this book. Anyways... So, Syl says, you're just doing what the Radiance did. And then Kaladin, once again, does it again. I've been wondering if I'm bad luck, or if I've run afoul of something like the old magic. Maybe this explains it. The Almighty cursed the Lost Radiance for betraying mankind. What if I'm cursed too, because of what I'm doing? Kaladin, Syl said, you are not cursed. (laughs) Yeah, like, Kaladin, his arc is... I... It's very frustrating, and it pays off well in the moments where he's like, now I'm not the big sad. But every time that isn't that time, it's like, my dude, why don't you just accept the part where you're now superhuman? Like, even if you're not going to use it to be a big cool guy, at least use it to just, like, experience shenanigans. I mean, he gets up to some shenanigans later, but first he needs a pep talk from our favorite world hopper. God, I love Void. <laughs> um, so we got a bit of a time skip, and Kaladin is sort of walking around aimlessly around the plains surrounding the war camps. Yeah, and uh, he sees a fire off in the distance. Yeah, he's getting real up in his head, and then he hears the melody of a flute. Is that your it's flute melody? Insert third wheel theme music here. Something like that. Also, I heard that song in someone's YouTube video and was like, hey, that's our royalty free music. Yeah, we similarly did not make that. How dare you? That royalty free music belongs to me. How dare you not make that music? So Kaladin hears a flute and sees a campfire and feels that the song that the man is playing seems like it comes from another world. Hmm. 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 Beyond, you don't even know. (laughs) I don't know. It just seems kind of duh. He's like special. Hoyd is the most special boy. He is the absolute specialist. Oh my God. What if I want to spin off with Hoyd taking Lopen with him? 
and like they just world hop. <laughs> That'd be pretty fun. Popin um, could have cousins on other worlds. Probably. He's a very connected cousin. So we get some delightful, classically Shakespearean banter between Kaladin and Hoyd. Mm-hmm. Wet, lot, lots of wordplay, classic wit. Classic wit kind of move. Yeah. And uh, Hoyd shows that he knows that Kaladin can consume Stormlight, and that makes Kaladin be like, what's going on? I'm going to stick around. Why do you know everything? <laughs> um, also, I like this section where um, uh, Hoyd asks, what is it to be witty then? Kaladin says, to say clever things. And what is cleverness? I guess it's the ability to say and do the right things at the right time. And then Hoyd has a bit of a look. And this might be considered a spoiler, but I don't really care. In Oathbringer, we get a scene with Hoyd where he describes himself as being cursed with the... as being cursed with being where he needs to be. Yeah, uh, I have read the description of that ability on the wiki and also he talks about it in the second book as well so he sort of has accidental path to victory powers yeah he he knows where he needs to be at the time that he needs to be there but he doesn't know why he needs to be there and yet he still somehow manages to say the right thing without really knowing why it's because he's a good boy or he's taviran also possible. It would be so easy for Branderson to cross over the worlds. Yeah, pretty much. But they're not, because he only finished the series, right? So Correct. it's not part of the Cosmere. Yeah, I think it would be crossing a bit of a line for him professionally to put the world of the Wheel of Time in the Cosmere. But what if the world of the Wheel of Time is one of the worlds of the Cosmere, but in a different turning of the wheel? Dun, dun, well, I mean, the, the Earth is a Cosmere world in canon, and Earth is the Wheel of Time world in a different turning of the wheel, so... Okay, so it's canon, right. is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, Good enough for me. So, Hoyd decides to tell Kaladin a little story. Little. And, yeah. I mean, just sort of the prose of this section makes it notable, like... The description, not necessarily like the prose of the story itself, but the prose describing how Hoyd tells the story in sort of like a mixed media, interpretive <laughs> dance, oh my smoke God. signals, echo singing kind of way. Oh my God, you're totally right. <laughs> so is this book like the bootleg of the performance? Um, yeah, it's really cool that Hoyd is like playing the flute such that it... It like echoes off the chasms and plays music back to him while he tells the story. Yeah, it's a good thing that he can tell the right pitch that he needs to be at to make that happen. It, he's perfect at it. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of cool language surrounding how Hoyt actually performs the story. We get Kaladin being like totally drawn in, even though he doesn't want to. And I just like the idea of like, a storyteller being so magically good that you can't not be invested. I wish that existed. I mean, there's definitely some lines later in this chapter where Hoyt is essentially the author, insert character, but I don't think Brandon Sanderson sees himself as a supernaturally talented storyteller. No, I was just saying ha because you said the word invested. Oh. 
wow, that's not what I was thinking at all. He should know better. But also, there was... To get... Listen, for all the Cosmere heads out there, uh, yeah, investure. It's cool the way that Hoyd, like, mixes powers to make the story come alive. We'll get there. We're gonna read Warbreaker. We're gonna read Warbreaker, and then also... Uh, some selected stories from Ars Arcanum, and also me saying things off of the wiki. Jesse, are you going to use your access to library powers to read the canon thesis of Brando Sando? That's not the school I work for. Oh. Oh, no. So you're he, went saying... to Brigham, he went to Brigham Young University. So oh, how could he go wrong. there? Because he... he's a Mormon. He's a Mormon? He's a Mormon? Yeah. Yeah. Can't Barry you tell, Mormon. since nobody in his books ever has sex, and they also never take off their special underwear? <laughs> That's huh. the end of the things I know about Mormons. Can't drink coffee. They can't drink- nobody in his books drinks coffee. Do they? I was gonna say calf, but that's Wheel of Time. Yeah. I always thought calf was, like, just straight espresso. Probably. So, essentially the story that Hoyt is telling Kaladin- is a parable about a society that would do terrible things in the name of their emperor, but when they find that the emperor has been dead for years, they all turn on each other and destroy themselves because the responsibility for their actions was suddenly theirs instead of the emperor's. And Hoy's like, you better think on that. Hmm. And Boyo, I'll be back for this flute. So, as I said, there's a line in here where Hoyt is essentially a Sando self-insert character. He says, It means what you want it to mean. The purpose of a storyteller is not to tell you how to think, but to give you questions to think upon. Too often, we forget that. I was like, yeah, yeah, we get it, Brando. I have now read that sentence like four times in the course of just reading and rereading. I think without the last sentence, the too often we forget that, it sounds like Hoyt is saying it. But when you add that lessons in, it sounds like Branderson is saying it. <laughs> yeah. It's just a little bit of, you know, possible self-congratulation. But I don't hate it because I think these books deserve to be congratulated for the most part. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, I'm invested. <laughs> so while Kaladin is trying to figure out what the story means, Hoyt is like, take care of my flute. Oh, and my apprentice. Yeah. He's graduated now. Let him know. Here's my flute. Here's my apprentice. I gotta bounce. The flute's for you, not my apprentice. Don't give him this. So in a very Contessa-like way, the story that Hoyd told Caliban worms into his brain and puts the mind whammy on him. Yeah. Gosh golly. So we get sort of a sequence of Caliban running back to camp while having, like, cascading realizations about himself, which is actually pretty damn good. Yeah, it's... Any time that Kaladin is willing to actually confront the things that are going on, it's always really good. It's just that he refuses to do that in, so far, every book that he's been in. So we got a paragraph that pretty much sums up Kaladin's character arc. It says, Though there was one thing he clung to, an excuse, perhaps, like the dead emperor. It was the soul of the wretch. Apathy. The belief that nothing was his fault. The belief he couldn't change anything. If a man was cursed, or if he believed he didn't have to care, then he didn't need to hurt when he failed. 
those failures couldn't have been prevented. Someone or something else had ordained them. If I'm not cursed, Kaladin said softly, then why do I live when others die? Because of us, Syl said. This bond, it makes you stronger, Kaladin. Then why can't it make me strong enough to help others? I don't know, Syl said. Maybe it can. Maybe it can. Tears. Kaladin. Tears. Tears. Kaladin sure would be great if that bond was strong enough to let you protect other people. We'll get to it. Yeah. (laughs) Gotta level Uh, up that bond. Yeah. And he decides that his motivation from this point forward is going to be a sense of love for his bridgeman. Gotta get to the lanch for Sander. Uh, so, Bion, did you, like, have any kind of, like, reaction to this sequence, or was it just sort of another chapter? I liked Wit. I, I think uh-huh. I'd, I'd, in reality, if I ever met a person like Wit, I'd be frustrated beyond belief. But as reading, I, I think Wit's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that Cal got smacked upside the head with Do Better. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, because it was really tiresome to continue reading about him, how he's, like, smart, but also so, so not picking up things. Well, he's, like, actively refusing to pick up on Yeah, things. he's like, I haven't seen anything, I don't know anything, I am a sheep herder. My <laughs> yeah. father is Randall Thor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of the point of the wretch story, right, is, like, he's so wrapped up in the idea that he has failed and is going to fail that he refuses to succeed and like he played himself yeah i'm a genius oh no (laughs) so when kaladin gets back to camp he you know friendly pushes teft up against a wall and is like what do you know he does a little friendly little cabidon to teft (laughs) and he's like teach me your ways senpai i wish i didn't know what that word meant well well you do it's too late for me now. It's too late. It's not, even, it's not even that bad. I just don't like what it says about me that I know what it means. Now you have the image of Kaladin cabedoning Teft. In High school mind. AU. I, I found some. I have them open in my Chrome right now. Um, so chapter 58 is called The Journey, and we start with some Adolin POV, thank God. <laughs> thank God he's here to save us. Um, this is also the beginning of Adolin's character arc where he wishes he was a fashion designer. <sighs> I'd let Adolin design fashion. He, like, talks about a dress a woman's wearing. He's like, that's really just not her color. Well, Adolin should like, read Ward. He'd love it. Why does like, she dye I, her hair? It's not really flattering. Yeah. It's like, he wishes he could wear scarves on his neck and wrist. God, people with wrist scarves. The second book has, like, actual illustrations of in-universe advertisements for clothes. Huh, I'll have to go back and find those. It's pretty great. Also, I don't know if I'm going to try and power through Words of Radiance and Oathbringer again before Rhythm of War comes out. That might be tough. It might be a little much. I mean, you only have, what, like, two months? Less. Maybe I'll just read Oathbringer again, because I've read Words of Radiance three times, but I've only read Oathbringer once. Maybe we should just talk about it before... Yeah, I mean, if you reread Oathbringer, and I read Oathbringer, and then you and I talk about it before Rhythm of War, that might be useful for me as well, to make sure that I'm up to date. 
Anyways, Adolin is having dandy fun time with his nobleman friends. And then sadly it ends, as all good things must do. Yeah. I mean, they end with Adolin realizing, I don't really enjoy this very much. Yeah, he wishes for something more. His calling is dueling. Time to duel. God, I want Adolin to just... He would have the most, like... Sickest Duel Monsters deck. I mean, I don't even know that it would... It wouldn't be sick in the sense of, like, actually useful. It would just have the biggest numbers and the coolest art. I stuffed my deck full of all the biggest monsters I could find. I mean... Adolin seems kind of like a Timmy. (laughs) Anyways. So while Adolin is going down the street, he has sort of a revelation when he compares the colon soldiers on the street to the officers in the wine shops. And he says, maybe the codes were about treating war with the gravity it deserved. Maybe it was about not turning a war zone into a festival. The common man had to remain on watch, vigilant. Therefore, Adolin and Dalinar did the same. He's like, I just had a realization. I understand the plight of the working class. Kinda. Bridge boy, come here. Bridge boy, follow me. So then we get a bit of a time skip, and we get Dalinar quoting the Way of Kings at length to two very bored men. They're like, why did we come here? (laughs) Oh no. So Dalinar... So Dalinar is reciting a story from the Way of Kings to Sedeus and Elokar. And Elokar, who is, by the way, just sitting in his box seats in the stadium with his power armor on... Yeah, just in case someone tries to assassinate him. Yeah, what a guy. What a king! So, essentially, Dalinar leaves them with the idea that the monarch must understand this. He must not become so focused on what he wishes to accomplish that he diverts his gaze from the path he must take to get there. And Sedeus is like, that's a load of storm weavings. Yeah, and Dalinar, by the way, I know you already said, is quoting from memory, but, like, every single thing that he quotes is just, like, off the top of his head. Right off the dome. Dalinar, first, should get another hobby, but (laughs) second, has maybe listened to the audiobook a few too many times. I mean, he literally has. He's had someone read it to him over and over. He's like... This book needs an audiobook. I'm funding it. So Sedeus tells Dalinar that, like, all of this morality is great, but you're so into it that everyone assumes you're faking it. And Dalinar's like, no, I really mean it, you guys. This is real. This is me. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. This is me. (laughs) Is this Hannah Montana? (laughs) No, it's, um, I'm almost certain it's High School Musical. That's probably it. Just imagine it in Zac Efron's voice. <laughs> um, so we get a bit more debating, and we get sort of a fun line where Sedeus accuses uh, accuses Dalinar of judging people on their fashion more than Sedeus does. <laughs> Which is true. Yeah, like Sedeus is just like, he shouldn't wear that color, but Dalinar is like, Your clothes are a moral failing. (laughs) You shouldn't be wearing those clothes. (laughs) Like, it is an objective wrong for you to be wearing those clothes. Yeah. What a guy. (laughs) 
Um, so then they stop talking to watch Adolin have a dandy duel with another Sharbearer. And kick his ass. Yeah, he has no problem, which is probably why we don't see it from Adolin's perspective, because he'd probably be like, yawn. Yeah, I mean, that's spoilers. He has more duels in the second book from his point of view, and most of them are just like doing a level one no bonfire challenge run to try and make it interesting (laughs) for himself. So after the uh, duel, uh, we get Sedeus and Elokar going back to the old standby of calling Dalinar a big old chicken because he wants peace. Oh my god. I just imagined Elokar and Sedeus actually doing the like... Like with the arms at Dalinar. But this time the taunting makes Dalinar come to a realization about himself. He's like, oh no, I am a chicken. Yeah, he says, and yet Dalinar had the distinct impression that he was being a coward. Read chicken. At least in relation to his desire to abdicate. If he left because of what was happening to him, that would be taking the easy path. Wait, what's a chicken? (laughs) A chicken is this thing that repeats what you say. Oh, okay. Understood. Yeah. So Dalinar was like, you know what? I have been a chicken. Like, I'm going to explain why I want what I want, and we're going to make it happen. Um, and then and King's like, why didn't you just tell me that sooner, Uncle? Which seems stupid, because I'm pretty sure it was explained to him before. I think Alucard's just real dumb. He's got uh, the royal dumb. Yeah, he's like Aeolin, but without any of the redeeming qualities. Just the part where he's dumb. Pretty much. We also get a bit of a snippet from him where he's talking about... Uh, the assassins in the shadows saying they watch me always waiting i see their faces in mirrors symbols twisted and human mysterious sounds familiar it really really does sounds like he's lying (laughs) wonder what the truth is i wish he would tell me that truth So after three consecutive Dalinar chapters of trying to make us feel somewhat positive things towards Sedeus, we get this line where they're talking about the bridge runs, and Dalinar says, The waste of life is acceptable, Sedeus said. They're mostly slaves, Dalinar. It's an honor for them to have a chance to participate in some small way. And Dalinar's like, meh, okay. And as the reader, we're like, no. Uh, Try better. Dalinar? Wish you wouldn't. Although this does, I don't know if it continues into the third book, um, but at least in the second, he sort of at least has the same sort of failing where like he failing from our perspective where it's like we are aware that he is going along with the wrong thing, but he thinks that it's, I don't, I'm not describing it very well, because obviously there are times where we, as the reader, know that a character is doing the wrong thing. I mean, he's just the silent privileged. Yeah, which continues to be a thing. That's a good way to describe it. He does it again in the second book. I don't know about the third, but I assume that if not a three-beat, at least as part of his character arc. It's about him owning his privilege. And then he gets the big privilege. (laughs) Yeah. So at the end of the chapter, Dalinar and Sedeus agree to do a hybrid bridge run on the next time. Hmm. Hmm. Using only Sedeus' bridges. Hmm. We'll get to it. 
next time on the third wheel. But first we have this other chapter. Yeah. Where Cal desecrates a corpse. Yeah. And he does some magical parkour. So chapter 59 is called An Honor. And we get a bit of a vignette of Calden doing magic training school with Teft. But it's really bad magic training school because no one knows what to do. Yeah. Uh, Teft is... I mean, he's not, like, completely inept. He just... He's, like, the blind leading the slightly more blind. And stupid. Teft is more familiar with the theology of the magic rather than the practicalities of using it. He says that infusing and using Stormlight is one thing, but being a Radiant was about their way of life, the immortal words. What are the immortal words, Jesse? Life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination, and then there's literally 40 others that we will find out gradually. Yeah. Because there are 10 orders of Knights Radiant, and each of them have four unique ideals. And I think in the first three books, we've seen five total. Is it? I feel like it's got to be more, but maybe not. I think it's like five total so far. It's not that many. Well, based on the stuff that I've read about book three, I think the books are like exponentially becoming more and more revealing about the stuff behind the stuff. So like... Probably. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Call me back in eight months. (laughs) Um, So after magic training school, the uh, bridge commander's wife makes an announcement to bridge four that they are now going to be assigned to every bridge run every day and also doing chasm duty at night. Yeah, tough stuff for my guys in bridge four. Which is essentially a death a death sentence within a week, which is like, to them saying, we need to hurry up our time frame. Uh, Sander Lanch lanches. We gotta lanch this Sander, quick. We'll have to do it in the next section, or else... So we get a bit of a time skip down to Chasm Duty, and Kaladin wanders off from his group to go do some personal magic training. Yeah. Uh, And he does the big dumb the first time. He infuses himself with Stormlight and then tries to jump at a wall with his feet and then just falls down. Which is really funny. I just imagine the music swelling and then cutting out. Like in an anime? Or any number of mediums. I'm well, not restricted to anime. Kaladin is anime. <laughs> so after this destructive failure, uh, Kaladin uses Sil to find the body of a Parshendi and begins cutting the armor off of it. Because, you know, the armor is literally part of their body and not something they wear. So he's just, you know, doing some corpse surgery. Mm, delicious carapace. Chitinous. Hmm, rock's gonna help us eat tonight. <laughs> Brando really likes the word carapace. <laughs> I mean, Roshar really likes the concept of carapace. You are correct. That is true. Uh, side note, and spoiler for a joke later, I absolutely love the thing that Hoyt says in the second book about the crabs on this world. (laughs) We'll get to it. Are they too spooky? 
I'll tell you later. Um, so while Kaladin is doing corpse surgery on a Parshendi, Lopin says, you haven't lost your wits, have you? Because if you have, I've got a cousin who makes a drink for people who've lost their wits. It might make you better, for sure. <laughs> it might make you better, for sure, says the Lopin. Protect Lopin at all costs. I mean, I feel like hanging around the Lopin would make you better. Yeah. Um, so after that, we get a brief episode of Kaladin and Lopin nearly running into a chasm fiend. Yeah, sure would suck if you ever ran into a chasm fiend in real life. It's like the biggest snail lobster thing you've ever seen. There's a picture in the second book. It looks pretty upsetting. <laughs> so Kaladin needs to figure out a way to smuggle this carapace out. And he decides to do some experimenting with Stormlight. He starts sticking stones to the wall one by one and using them as handholds. And he's like, this is great. How do I get down? <laughs> yeah. He super did not think that step through. He's just like, it's time. <laughs> Cal's the cat that climbs up the tree, but then can't go down the tree. Wow. <laughs> Basically. Help. Just making sad, distress noises of self-incrimination. <laughs> I like to think of that. Now we have Cat AU. I'm sure there's Cat AUs where people just turn other stories into the Warrior series. Oh no. Now I have to look up crossovers. Does this mean I have to read all of Warriors so I can understand the crossover fix? Not usually. Usually people stay close enough to stage as a canon that you can pick it up. Or it's so AU that you don't need it and you just need to know that the characters and the general plot are similarly inspired. Beyond, did you read Warriors? I read it for a while in middle school. I didn't, like, keep up with it, though. Yeah, I read, like, the first three series of it. Those were my jam. They were really good. Like, anthropomorphic is entertaining. They were also really dark. Anyways, um... Enjoy this cat. It's gonna die soon. So Kaladin does some fancy rope tricks, and... With that ties... 50 feet of rope. Yeah, that he bought from Lopin's cousin. Um, and is then just sort of hanging there. He's like, well, what do I do now? And Syl's like, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it, you won't. <laughs> Syl, I love Syl being Kaladin's hype man. <laughs> do it, do it, do it, do it, Kaladin. Do a coward. We're like coward in. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, and then Kaladin gives into peer pressure and cuts the rope holding him there. And he then free falls, but then does uh, the superhero landing. Yep. Three point. Perfect. That's horrible on the knees. Well, thank God he can immediately heal his knees. He also has magic assisting him. But for me, it's just like, really? The three point landing? Come on. Kaladin is our hero. You couldn't think of a, a new, cool way for superheroes to land Brando Sando? Anyways, I'm nitpicking. He does mention some landing from the sky in the Dalinar flashback of this section. So like, oh yeah, they do the three-point landing, too. Yeah. Maybe it's just truly the most ergonomically ideal way to land when you have superpowers. Can't imagine that that's true. <laughs> Look at me, I'm like Kaladin, I'm refusing to believe information. <laughs> so that is essentially the end of this chapter. And when we come back next time, we are going to get through the Shattered Plains. Yeah. We're going to get there. We're going to finish section four, which I think 
means like chapter 69 nice will be in part five we're not actually going to start part five but we're going to finish part four yep. we're going to read the whole sanderlanch yeah you can't cut it up you just can't yeah we were thinking about like we decided not to which was the right decision so what do we usually do when we end these episodes it's been so long we're so consistent i don't have the chance to forget our spiel. I think we say like, hey, it's been really great. We hope you like it too. Um, like, hey, comment, subscribe. It's been really great. We hope you like it too. Smash that like button. Leave a review on iTunes. Tweet at us at, at Wheel Reading. I feel dirty saying this. It's uh, been so long. Make sure to engage with every way that we could possibly have analytics. Increase uh, our SEO. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. I already said that. I'm reinforcing it. Leave us a review twice. Leave us... Now Beyond said it, so now we're going to need three reviews per person. Yeah. Make us the top Google result when someone Googles the word wheel. Yeah, absolutely. If I Google the word wheel and we're not at the top... I'm gonna have a Kaladin level big sad. We're just all gonna become Kaladin. <laughs> I'm gonna be so sad. I'm gonna become a Knight's Radiant. Anyways, with those sarcastic plugs out of the way, I guess it truly is the end of the episode. And I truly hope it's been good for you. And I'm Jesse. I'm Tyler. And I'm Beyond. And thanks everyone. We'll Sanderlanch you next time. <laughs>